I want to welcome you to Central this morning, where we seek transformation of our lives and our communities in the whole world through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus. This winter and spring leading up to Easter, we're studying a life by design, examining the Ten Commandments and how they call us to grow deeper as disciples, as followers of Jesus, call us to take additional steps as apprentices in the way of the life of the Lord Jesus. And this morning, we are on the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Aren't you all glad you came to church today? (laughs) Westminster couldn't get out of here soon enough, you know? (laughs) Some of you might be wondering what we're going to talk about, and is this going to be a thing where we feel ashamed about how we're broken and about how God made us? It's not the intention. We're not trying to make anybody blush this morning. But never said, I'd love for us to see how beautiful and gracious of a God we have who saves and cleanses ashamed people like you and me. Here's the big point to frame this message this morning. God calls us to be sexually faithful inside of marriage all the way down to our hearts and our imaginations because God is faithful to us. That's the reason. He calls us to faithfulness because God is faithful to us, his bride, his people, his dearly loved possession. So our expression of faithfulness inside of marriage is is a tangible expression of a deeper reality of God's faithfulness to us. That's why it's so important. So we're going to pray and turn our attention to the scriptures to Exodus 20, verse 14, and Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. Let's pray and ask the Spirit to bless us as we hear his word. Lord, we ask that you would send your Spirit and open our eyes that we would behold Jesus. Open our hearts and enable us to love him. Renew our wills that we might follow in discipleship, Lord. And so we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 20, verse 14, hear God's word. You shall not commit adultery. Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The Lord teaches the humble his way. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. This morning, I'd like for us to jump right into this text and thinking about God's design for sex and marriage. And I have two points for us this morning. The first one is, I want us to see that we are designed for deeper one flesh connection. Men and women are designed for one flesh relationship. And point two is this marriage and sexuality is designed to point us deeper to something else, something far larger. So let's take those two points. The first one, Marriage and sexuality is designed to deepen one flesh connection between husbands and wives. Biblical view of sex realizes that at its foundation, sex is a gift. It's a good gift from the Lord. It's it's a union of a man and a woman in a covenant promise to share their whole lives together, share their hearts, share their spiritual lives, their emotional lives, and their physical life being bound together in this covenant relationship of one man and one woman. 
It's God's best that it's a lifelong promise to be shared. And adultery is any violation of that marital trust, anything outside, any sexual expression outside that covenant of a man and a woman in a marital relationship. And so this command forbids all kinds of things in our lives. It forbids premarital sex. It forbids homosexual behavior. It forbids any kind of sexual expression that's not found in the covenant of marriage. It's not arbitrary, though. It's because of God's design. We've studied before that Adam and Eve in the garden were given to each other. And God says in Genesis 2 that they were made to be complements of one another. They fit together. Their lives are to be shared. And they serve God alongside one another, ruling over his kingdom. And then in verse 24 of Genesis 2, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's God's design for married couples to have this deepest of loyalties between one another, having left father and mother and joined together as a husband and a wife. And the loyalty shared in that marriage is deeper even than loyalty given to children in your own family. The primary relationship is the marital relationship in the kingdom of God. Parents, I want you to hear me say this clearly. One of the best things that you can do for your children is to nurture a healthy marriage, to get closer to your spouse, to nurture a a life where you celebrate a lifelong union of holding fast to one another. Your hearts bound together, your emotions spiritually you're bound together, and it's sealed in the union of your bodies physically through sex. It's one of the best things that you can do for your children is to have a healthy marriage in front of them. See, according to the Bible, sex is to be used inside of that kind of covenant relationship and nowhere else. We'll get to why in just a moment, but it's it's a gift that God gives us, not only for procreation, but also for our joy. The Bible isn't shy about presenting the beauty of erotic love inside a marriage. In fact, The whole book of the Song of Solomon is an exploration, a a vivid exploration at times of the beauty of God's gift of sex in a marriage given for us to enjoy as as couples. But we all know that Adam and Eve didn't remain in that state of bliss, did they? Instead, they rebelled against God, driving sin and rebellion deep into their hearts and in our hearts as well, and it affected this one flesh relationship. One of the various words in the Bible that describe how this one flesh relationship has been harmed by our sin, and one of them is the word that we're studying this morning, adultery. It's also used for any kind of sexual expression outside that covenant of union. But there's also a broader category. We see it in the New Testament a handful of times. It's called sexual immorality. It's the Greek word porneia, from which we get our word pornography. And that word describes any kind of erotic behavior that's uncoupled from the guardrails of faithfulness in marriage. That word is used in some places to talk about adultery. In some places, it's talking about homosexual behavior. Some places, it's talking about premarital sex. I think in our world, it speaks to the hookup culture. Just casual sex that, that people aren't committed to each other. They're just committed to this expression, this instance, this this, this, this one time it also speaks to our culture of men and women living together, behaving sexually, cohabitating as if they're married when they're not. When 
the covenant, when the promise, the, the being bound together isn't there. That's also this word, porneia. But Jesus drives it even deeper. It's even deeper than the external activities. In Matthew 5, 27, he says, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Once again, Jesus is setting himself up against the rabbis, the the teachers of the day. And the rabbi rule of the day on this commandment was essentially, don't touch. If, if, if If you're not touching, you're all good. Look, but don't touch. That was the rabbi rule. But Jesus says, the rabbis are wrong. Because this command goes deeper. It goes deeper than our touch. It goes into our hearts. It it goes into our imaginations. He said, if one looks with lustful intent, that is, stirring up sexual desires inside the heart or inside the mind, he has already committed adultery. Now, let's be clear. That does not mean that it's a sin to admire beauty that God's created. After all, the Lord is the author of everything lovely and everything beautiful, but we know the difference. There is a look, a second look or a third look that covets, that longs to take for self something that doesn't belong to us by covenant promise. And sometimes we like to play, how close to the line can I get? How flirtatious can I be? How seductive could I possibly be with, with not just walking up to the line, but without crossing over? We might give our imaginations to what would a life of being joined to that person be like? Even thinking about the union of souls, we, some people think about what would it be like to be connected to that person, to feel understood by that person. Maybe I'd be happier married to this other person instead of the spouse God has given me. Friends, if we're making that calculation, perhaps our hearts have already engaged in the adulterous chase. You see, adultery isn't something that just happens. It doesn't just come out of thin air. Adultery begins in the heart. That's what Jesus wants us to see. So why make such a big deal about it? Why make such a big deal about these heart desires when in our culture, Sexual appetites are put on the same level as, the, as hunger or thirst. It's just a bodily urge, and when I feel the urge, there's no shame in it. I'll just engage in sex with whomever I want, wherever I want, because it's just this bodily appetite. Is it really that big a deal to hook up with someone? People may ask, is it, is it really a big deal to, to watch porn to see how close to the line I can get? Well, Jesus' answer is it is a big deal because of God's design. God provided that the sexuality would be a union of a man and a woman in a marriage, that they're bound together through this action of sex. Tim Keller calls sex inside marriage covenant cement. It's like what binds a couple together. It's what it, it unites them. Phil Riken uses even more graphically. He calls it sex is the super glue. It's a super glue that puts a husband's life together with a wife and they're bound together. And by design, by God's good design, we can't separate that physical union from the rest of the shared your whole life. You can't separate the physical union from sharing your heart and your emotions. It's about having an entire life be bound together, super glue together as it were. And yet sex outside of that covenant promise is like, a man or a woman trying to superglue your soul to another person without any commitment. 
We know what happens. We've seen what happens when things that are super glued together are ripped apart. There's a tearing, it's painful, it's destructive. Same thing is true with sexual immorality, friends. My son Isaiah is uh, getting ready for lacrosse season this year, and he's been working on his lacrosse helmet. And a couple of weeks ago, they had to get some super glue to fix a part, to fix a pad that was on the inside of his helmet. And there, the pad had already been broken. It was already ripped. And so it had been super glued back together. And when Isaiah fixed this pad, he super glued it. He noticed that where it was glued wasn't where the pad ripped. Where it was glued stayed fast. Where it was glued stayed together. The pad ripped underneath where the super glue had been put. It's the same thing with sexual sin. It's destructive precisely because it's intended to be like a husband and a wife's life glued together in faithfulness. And we hold faithful to that promise, faithful to that expression. When everything else in life feels insecure, your world is shaking, that covenant bond stays tight. And you know it's tight because your lives are joined together. The glue holds, and yet with sexual immorality, a life gets torn it's painful. It's destructive. Having casual sex here and there without any kind of commitment is a tearing of your soul. Watching porn on the screen tears at your soul. It will hollow out your soul. You're not able to connect with your spouse like you're designed to be connected. It's harmful. Friends, this, these rules, this thought about being pure in our sexual relationships isn't arbitrary. God's not up there in heaven thinking about, I'm an ogre and I'm trying to hold out on you a really good thing, something that's really fun. It's not what he's doing. Remaining a virgin before marriage and remaining faithful to one wife or one husband in that union, asking the Spirit to help our hearts and our eyes and our imaginations walk in purity is intended to keep us out of pain, intended to keep us from things that harm our lives, that hurt our souls, things that are painful. But that faithful life is not just an end in of itself. A husband and a wife seeking to be faithful in God's design is a signpost. And it points all of us to something deeper, something bigger. It's whether we're married or single or single again, a faithful marriage points us to something bigger points us to God's faithfulness and his promise to his bride. That's why we seek to be faithful in our marriages because God is always faithful. He is always faithful to his bride, to his church. He's always faithful to you. And sexual purity and faithfulness inside the marital relationship is designed to point us to a faithful Jesus to whom we're joined together through faith through trust in his work on our behalf. We will belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death. Friends, sex is just the sign. Belonging to Jesus is the reality. And if we've trusted to the Lord Jesus Christ, if we've asked him to save us, we belong to him and no one and nothing can change that. That's our identity. Belonging to Jesus because of what he's done for us, belonging to a faithful Jesus forms the foundation of our identity as people of God. Sometimes in our culture, people seem to kind of fixate 
on marriage or fixate on sexuality as if that is your identity, your foundational identity. It's in fashion in our culture, you hear it sometimes, if a person is same-sex attracted and yet someone says, that's not God's best for you, they may respond by, if you deny this about me, you're denying my humanity. You ever hear that before? You're denying something foundationally true about me. What God would say is no. Faithfulness to God's design is about something far bigger than just our sexuality. It's about God's faithfulness to his bride, God's faithfulness to you and to me as his children. That's our identity. That's what our lives are built upon. And it applies to all of us, whether we're married or single or divorced or same-sex attracted, all pointed to the same faithfulness of God to people like me and you, his bride. It's a sign that points to something bigger, that God is faithful to his covenant and he will never fail us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. It's a sign. If you drive through the southeast of the United States and sometimes driving through the Midwest, you're gonna see signs all over the place. There are billboards or painted on the sides of barns, painted on roofs and structures, and you might know it, what the sign says, it says, see Rock City. You ever see those signs? Can't drive more than 15 miles in the southeast until you see a see Rock City sign. Now, the sign is not the same thing as the thing that's signified. For example, no one would go to this barn and stand in this grassy field beside a barn in Arkansas that has Sea Rock City painted on the side of it. No one would have their picture made there and think it's exactly the same as standing on the side of Lookout Mountain from that brow at Rock City where you can see seven states from that beautiful height. You can see it's incredible. It's beautiful. No one is going to confuse standing in a grassy field next to a barn in Arkansas with that sight looking over Lookout Mountain. They're different things. You don't confuse the sign for the thing signified because the difference is so stark. And that's what God is teaching us here, friends. He doesn't want us to stop at the sign of sex for our identities, but rather have our hearts lifted to the spiritual reality that God is faithful and he will never fail in his love for you. He is faithful to his bride and he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Listen to Isaiah 62, how he speaks tenderly about his people as his bride. He says, you will be called Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her, and your land, Beulah, meaning married. For the Lord will take great delight in you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Do you realize that's true? that God rejoices over his people. He sings over his people. What God feels about you seated in this pew this morning is his heart is overflowing with joy because you belong to him. Can you believe that? Can you believe that God loves you that way even when we are unfaithful, even when we have failed in our, our, unfaithful in our actions or in our hearts or even in our imaginations, rather than being covered over with shame because of all that I've done, the Bible presents a God who steps near, a God who searches us out, a God who calls us back because he is faithful to his bride. Even when we've walked away from him in sin, 
God will never leave us and he will never forsake us for he is faithful to his people. That's the storyline of the book of Hosea. Maybe you've read it before where Hosea the prophet was called to seek out and to marry Gomer who was a prostitute. And she was unfaithful to her husband Hosea over and over and over again just as we as God's people are unfaithful to God. And yet Hosea continued to pursue his wife. He continued to chase after her and prove to her that she is loved and in the eyes of her husband, she is lovely. And the point of that prophecy of Hosea is to show you and me a point that that's the way our God thinks about us. He loves us and he's faithful to us as his bride, not because we're pure, not because we do it right, not because everything is just as it should be in our lives. He is faithful to us because he has a faithful, steadfast love. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you, friends. When you and I have failed in being faithful to the Lord in a sin that brings you shame and you just can't shake it, you just can't seem to get out from under its grip, the Lord comes to you and to me again to remind us and prove to us that he's faithful. When we are filled up with regret, Jesus reminds us tenderly that he has paid for all of our sin, that he has set us free from the dominion of our sin and the devil all by the blood of his cross. He has cleansed you from all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt, and he will love his people. He will faithfully love his bride all the way to the end when we see him face to face. He will love you all the way home. And that is our identity. That's who we are. A people who belong to the God who is faithful to us. Even when we are unfaithful, we are the objects of Jesus' affection. His very own beloved bride, people washed clean by his blood. And he will never be unfaithful. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Don't confuse the sign for the bedrock truth on which to build your life that God is faithful and he will never be unfaithful to you. We are faithful in our marriages and in our sexuality because God is faithful. But that may leave you here this morning wondering, does he really want me? I know what I've done. I know what I've looked at. I know what's been in my heart. I know how I have behaved. Does God really want someone like me? Someone as unfaithful at me that he would pledge his undying faithfulness. Really? Pastor, I heard once, told a story about another pastor who was preaching to a group of college students. He gathered on their campus ministry meeting that night, and as the pastor uh, got up to preach, he said, tonight we're going to talk about sexual purity. We're going to talk about sexual sin, and I'm sure every college student wanted to get up and walk out, you know, but they, they stayed, and he handed to a student on the front row a rose, just a rose, and he said, I want everybody to just have an opportunity to see how beautiful this rose is, and so he said, just smell it, you know, just Feel the, the velvety feel on the petals and just enjoy the beauty of this rose. And when you're finished, just give it to the next person and let them enjoy it. Just pass it one by one all the way to the end and I'll get it later. And then he went on with his lesson about sexual purity. 
for these college students. He told them about how God wanted us to live with sexual purity and how much damage it brings into our lives when we're not. He asked the person at the end of the talk, the one who had the rose, he said, could you just bring that up to me? She brought it up and he held up this rose so that everybody could see that it was worn and tattered. It, it was kind of just, the, the stem was bent and broken and some of the petals had been handled and they had fallen off and it wasn't as beautifully scented as it once was. It was a shell of its former beauty. He held up the rose and he said, who would want a rose like this? It's the same with the sexual sin. Keep yourself pure because nobody's gonna want you if you've been damaged. He left those college students with a terrible idea, a terrible belief that their worth to God is connected to their purity. God will only love you if you've been pure. What a shame-filled message. This pastor who was recounting this story repeated the question, who wants the rose? Who wants the rose, he asked. And the answer is, Jesus wants the rose. That's the point. Jesus wants the rose. That's the whole point of him saving sinners like us, people whose lives are broken and ashamed. He wants to make us beautiful in his nail-scarred hands. Jesus wants you. You may feel like you don't belong this morning. You may feel like you have sinned yourself out of the ability for God to love you. It's not true. Who wants the rose? Who wants sinners? Who wants you? Jesus does. And he wants every one of you gathered here this morning, no matter what your past has been. And he will always be faithful to you because you are his beloved bride. You belong to him and no one and nothing can snatch you out of his hands. Friends, we are called to be faithful with our sexuality, called to be pure in marital relationships as a sign to point to something bigger, something deeper, something far more foundational, something you can build your life upon. It's that you belong to a faithful Savior who died for you that you might be called beautiful. No matter what's been in your life, his blood makes you beautiful. Let's walk in faithfulness to him because of his faithfulness to us. Let's pray. Lord, we are a people who are so often ashamed. Ashamed of what we've done, ashamed of what we've looked at, ashamed of what we said, ashamed of the desires in our hearts. And so we offer all of these things to you this morning, Lord, in the secure hope of the promise of your covenant that you have bound yourself to us as your bride. You've made us your people. And by the blood of the cross, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us because you have cleansed us. And we belong to Jesus, body and soul, in life and in death. And so, Lord, with that foundational basic truth of who we are, blood-bought people, people who have the resurrection life within us through faith, Lord, would you help us to be a people? who are faithful. Help us to be faithful in our marriages, faithful in purity. Give us faithful eyes and hearts and imaginations because of the magnitude of your faithfulness to us. 
Teach us to walk in your ways, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.